for uh, coming out tonight. And um, I know it's that time of the year where things are crazy at school. And man, this weather has been incredible. Was this weekend not amazing? Great, great weekend. Yeah, it was good, good stuff. And uh, the thing I would just say uh, real quick about Scandalous Grace or Scandal of Grace is the song that we just sang. How many of you have never heard that song before? Show of hands. You've never heard that song? Yeah, I didn't think you would because it's brand new. It's from Hillsong United, and it's on a, a CD called Zion. And uh, there are two songs on there that you have to, to purchase, okay? If you don't have the dollar or whatever it costs to get an iTunes song, come see me afterwards because I would love for you to have these songs. And I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that. Um, because there's a song, Scandal of Grace, and the other song is called Oceans by uh, Brooke Fra- Frazier, who's an amazing worship leader. And um, that's a nine-minute song, so you get your full money's worth on that one. And uh, it's incredible. So um, hopefully you can... Uh, uh, get a hold of that, and that's really um, that song actually titled this series "Scandalous Grace." And so it's like, what does that mean, "Scandalous Grace"? What are you talking about when we talk about "Scandalous Grace"? Well, the fact is, we deserved something, and we did not get what we deserved, and uh, that's called grace. And and that's what we've been talking about uh, these past few weeks. The first week, John Hambrick was here. We opened with him, um, and he he told us about the sinners and tax collectors. And how they loved to hang out with Jesus. They loved to be in his presence. They loved to be around him. They felt loved and accepted by him. And John really challenged us as a, as a ministry and as a church to say, why is it that people that needed God the most don't like hanging out with church people? Why is that true today? You know, and it was, it was really convicting because it's like, man, am I loving? Am I accepting? Am I graceful to the world that I live in? And then last week, Billy was here, and Billy uh, talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Sanhedrin and all this religious leaders, the religious authority in Jesus' day, and how they struggled with Jesus. They tr- struggled with, with who he was hanging out with. They struggled with, with how people flocked to him, and it's because they, they kept a record. They liked to keep score. And we kind of like to do that at times, too. It's like, how are we measuring her up? I mean, we're not as bad as, as the people down the hall. We're not as bad as our neighbors, maybe. And, and I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm going to church. I'm doing those kind of things. And we like to, to keep score. I'm at the living room on the night of the national championship. That's got to count for something, right? You know? And we like to try to keep score. But the verse that he reminded of us of is uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so we cannot work our way. We cannot earn our way. And we have no right to boast because it is all a gift from God. And it is all about his grace. And in case you don't get that or in case that doesn't light you up tonight, I don't know this or not, but we're all broken in here. Every single one of us is broken In fact, everybody in the world is broken. We were born into brokenness. We were born into sin. And that's why Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's the scandal that's going on here. Because, see, everybody has messed up. Everybody is broken. And what we deserved is we deserved God's wrath. We deserved eternal separation from God. We did not deserve grace. 
But that's what he gave us. And, and this is the beautiful thing about the rest of this verse. It keeps going. And it says, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The scandal of grace, you died in my place. So my soul will live. And that's the beauty of the scandal of grace. That is scandalous grace that we have received. We deserved God's wrath. We deserved eternal separation from him. But we got life. And that's what we're talking about. So throughout this series, we've been looking at the different people that have interacted with Jesus. And tonight, I want to talk to you briefly about the disciples. And I don't know if you've studied much about the disciples. I don't know what you know about the disciples. There was a group of people that followed Jesus around. And, and some scholars say that the group got as large as 300 people were traveling around with Jesus at times. At times, there would be... Now, I'm not talking about the crowds of like 5,000 that would come to hear him teach. I'm talking about people that would follow him. But at some point in time in his ministry, he pulled some people aside. And in fact, Mark 3.16 says who the disciples are. He appoints... You can put this up. Um, he appoints 12 disciples. And you know some of them, but maybe you don't know some of them. But Simon... Peter, we know him because he was like the bold one. He's the one that's like, hey, Jesus, can I walk on the water with you? Oh, gosh, I'm scared. I'm sinking. Help me, Jesus. What's going on here? But Simon Peter was the bold one. He was always doing something bold. I mean, if you cut off somebody's ear when Jesus is being arrested and Jesus picks up the ear on the ground and puts it back on the, the soldier's head, you kind of get remembered. You know, you kind of get, get, you know, called out. I was like, man, you won't believe this, but Peter, who thought he was like following Jesus cut off this, this soldier's ear. And Jesus just said, Peter, don't do, you shouldn't do that. And like put the ear back on. <laughs> it's amazing. But Peter, we know Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, son of Zebedee. We know John because he writes about himself a lot as the disciple that Jesus loved the most. And I know we've heard jokes about that recently, but, but James and John were brothers. And, and it says that, that Jesus called them sons of thunder. Not really know all that that's about, but maybe they had some serious horsepower between the two of them. But James and John, and this isn't James who wrote the book of James, by the way, but they were brothers. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, we don't really know much about them. We, we, there's some scholars that think that Bartholomew was also referred to as Nathaniel. But there, here's some of them. We got some more coming right here. Matthew, we know him because he's the tax collector. And Jesus just walked up to him one day and said, hey, come follow me. And he left his tax collecting booth right there. Just gave up his job. Pretty fascinating. When you give up your job and follow Jesus, you get remembered in the Gospels. That's pretty, pretty cool. Then we know Thomas. And the way we know Thomas is that he didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Because people don't rise from the dead, in case you didn't know that. I mean, seriously, he's like, I know my friends are telling me that Jesus rose from the dead, but I'm not going to believe it until I see it. So we call him Doubting Thomas, which is so unfair, because, I mean, uh, how many of us have doubts, you know? But, but that's how we know him today, Doubting Thomas. Then we have James, son of Alphaeus. And honestly, I know absolutely nothing about James, son of Alphaeus, other than his name is in the Bible three times. And, and, and sometimes he's referred to as James the Lesser, which is a terrible name. James the Lesser, because the other James, son of Zebedee, is known as James the Greater. But I, I don't know. I mean, how would you like... It's like, hi, I'm James the Lesser. <laughs> What's that about? 
Then we got Thaddeus. We don't know anything about Thaddeus, but I think that's a cool name, and I think we should bring that back, okay? So some of you, when you have your kids soon in, in a few years, I mean, just go with Thaddeus. I think, it, I think we could rock that out in 2015, 2016, 2018. You can call him Thad for short, or you can call him Deus, you know? I mean, w- w- go for it. And then you got Simon the Zealot. We don't know what he was zealous about, and I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be funny. We really don't. And then we know Judas because he was the one that betrayed Jesus. And uh, I just saw a tweet from Bob Goff the other day, and Bob Goff spoke at the beginning of the semester, and it was awesome. Hopefully you were here for that. But he was like, how many of you would spend your last meal with someone who's going to betray you? And he just said, as he always does, at love does, you know? And that's a different thought right there. But that's the disciples, and that's who they were. There was 12 of them. And for some reason, they got appointed to follow Jesus. You know, some of them were fishermen, but most of them were uneducated for the most part. And they got chosen to follow Jesus. And tonight I want us to look at a parable in the Gospel of Mark. It's a parable that maybe you're familiar with. Maybe if you grew up in church, you've heard. But it's the parable of the sower. And there's some, some insight here that I'm hoping that you're going to see that we're going to actually even understand how this scandal of grace applied to the disciples. And so we're going to look at this, and then we're going to head out of here. This should, uh, we'll go through this pr- pretty quickly here. But it says, And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. Now, I just got to stop and say one thing before you go there. I, I don't know if this is true, but I've just been thinking about this because, you know, I don't know if, if there's a crowd so large that you have to get in the lake. I mean, you know, I, couldn't you just tell the crowd to back up and stand on the shore? I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be funny, but I I'm, I'm really was thinking about this, and I'm like, is Jesus, because he's God, is, is he like, man, I'm going to get in the boat, and if I put the boat in this certain position... Like, in the way I'm going to speak, maybe I'm just going to create a natural amphitheater off the water. You know, like, I'm going to have amplification off the water to the crowd. I don't know. I'm just, I I mean, it, it doesn't say that. I'm not saying it says that in the text. I'm not trying to read into it. I'm just thinking about it going, is he so smart, so brilliant that he's like, man, for everybody to hear me, I'm going to get in the boat. And I'm going to put the boat in the right place. And I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to start telling this parable. So just a little side rabbit trail I had to share with you because I've been pondering that these last few days, okay? Next verse. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And this is something that he's just saying. I I think honestly, he's saying, listen, I want you to pay attention to what I just said. I want you to listen to what I just said. I want you to understand what I just said. But 
he knew not everyone was going to understand. In fact, he taught in parables. And as we see tonight, the purpose of the parable, he's going to reveal his scandalous grace to his disciples in this. As we keep going, let's see this in the next verse. When he was alone, the 12 and others, and I don't know how many of these others were, but there were other people besides the disciples that were around, and they were around him, asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, this is amazing to me. Because here's Jesus, and, he's, and, and the disciples are coming up to him, and they're like, wait a minute, we don't understand what you just said. All the people gathered around, we've been following around Jesus, but you're telling these stories, and they're not making much sense to us. Can you help us out? I mean, can you put it just, you know, maybe, you know, I know we're adults, but maybe like if we went middle school level, like if, we, if you started talking to us like middle school level, I could, I could handle that. And it's like, okay, I'll go middle school. Or, no, 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 maybe like fifth grade. Can we go like fifth grade? Like with that, can you just communicate to us in that level? Because we just want to make sure we are understanding what you're saying here. And, and this is what's amazing. Jesus is going to tell them, he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And what's amazing about this, I mean, this is crazy, but Jesus is saying the secret's going to be revealed to you. The secret has been revealed to you. In fact, I'm the secret. I'm the secret. The kingdom of God has come. We've been talking about it for a while now. You've been hearing this coming. But I am the Son of God. He doesn't say it this way, but, but that's the reality. That the Son of God is now on the earth. He's now living out His life as a perfect sacrifice. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And the scandalous grace that's taking place is that He's going to explain this parable. In essence, what he's going to explain is he's going to explain how salvation works. How the word of God, how the truth can get sown in someone's life. And he's going to unpack that for them. And that is grace, students. That is grace because it's like they wouldn't understand this any other way unless he explained it to them. Not only that, he's going to reveal his whole purpose throughout his life to them. But he doesn't do it all in one time. But anyway, let's keep going. Mark 11b. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and then he quotes this verse in Isaiah, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Other ways they might turn and be forgiven. Now, there's a debate going on here with this passage from Isaiah. And... Um, and it's crazy. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's like, okay, if you read that at first hand, it's like, Jesus, it sounds like you don't want people to know what you're all about. It sounds like you don't want people to be forgiven. It sounds like people you don't want, you don't want people to repent. And I don't think that's Jesus' intent here. I think there's, a, there's power in understanding the parable. I think there's a reason that Jesus spoke in parables. I don't think he could just come out and show up on the scene and say, I'm the son of God. I don't think he could do that. I mean, he could do that because he's God and he could have done it and it would have been true. So I shouldn't say things like that. But he knew he had a mission and he had to accomplish that mission. And that mission was going to take some time. But he also knew 
that there's going to be people that didn't believe, that they didn't understand. And this is an Old Testament passage out of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 6. I'm not sure on that. I've got it in my notes. I think it's Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Yes, it is. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And basically, those outside are being denied the opportunity of being instructed in the secret of the kingdom of God as long as they have unbelief. That's it. And so if there was ever a time that you heard the gospel, if you ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and you didn't believe, then you, you fit in this category. And there's people all the time, they, didn't, they don't believe. But it takes multiple times. And finally, sometime, at some point in time, the light bulb goes off. It's like, oh, Jesus is the Son of God, and I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. So I'm going to put my faith in Him. But he quotes this passage, and then he goes on. He says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And so he's like, If you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any parable that I'm telling you. But the grace, again, here's so much grace. He's like, but just because I know you don't understand it, I'm going to explain it to you. That's the good news. I'm going to explain what's going on here. Keep going. The farmer sows the word. Now, there's so much here, okay? I mean, Jesus is the word made flesh. I mean, in some ways, I mean, if he want to really freak people out, he's like, the farmer sows Jesus, me. And, you know, that's what he sows. He sows Jesus, and they would have been like, what? Like, how do you sow Jesus? He's like, no, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, that's always crazy when you throw out Satan in the middle of like a Bible study. It's like, what? Satan? Yeah, Satan is real. I mean, I, we believe he's real. I believe he's real. That he has power. He has some authority. He doesn't have all authority. But basically, Jesus is saying at some point in time, people hear the word of God, and for some reason, they don't believe. And the reason they don't believe is that the word is taken away immediately. And it just never sinks in with them. And these, these are the people that the word is sown along the path. So he goes on to describe another group of people. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. So it's a group of people and they hear the word of God and they proclaim Jesus. It's like, well, I believe in Jesus. I receive him. I understand it. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And so these people receive the word of God. And then all of a sudden trouble comes. Or they get called out for their faith. It's like, what? You started following Jesus? You started believing in Jesus as the son of God? Have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? And when that happens, because there's no good foundation, there's no good roots in their life, they fall away. They stop following Jesus. Then there's another group of people. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, 
But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And so this is the seed that's sown among the thorns. And, and here's the deal. It says, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And I'll be honest with you. As I was preparing for tonight, I just started thinking about this. This was the, the, the verse that hung me up. And um, it's tax season. I don't know if you have to do taxes because you're students, but how many of you have to do taxes? Show of hands. You got to do taxes? Yeah, because you work. That's all right. I love that. That's great work ethic. Can I just say that again? That was a lot of you, okay? All right. All the other ones, you're dependents, which is awesome because your parents are taking care of you maybe, hopefully. But I, I was having to do my taxes recently, and, you know, it's always good if you're getting money back from the government that you, you pr- shouldn't have to give to the government as much as we give in the first place. But, but I do, I just want to say it's good to be honest on your taxes, okay? And so, because um, we want to be faithful, you know, recovery begins with me if you were around for that series, and don't cheat the government out of what they, you know, what belongs to them. I think Jesus would even say that, and I think he actually said that at times. But I just was thinking about, money because I'm like, I'm going to get this little, little tiny check back. Okay. It's tiny. Okay. It's seriously, it's, it's a tiny check, but I'm like, what am I going to do with it? You know? And I, I, I own this condo. I don't own this condo. I have purchased a condo that the bank owns in Midtown. It's, and I've been in it for a while and, um, y'all didn't get that. That was really truthful, but that was supposed to be a joke at the same time, but it wasn't funny. I get that. And I've been wanting to, like, I don't want that bank to own it anymore, you know? I just, I mean, that's not, not the greatest thing. And I'm, like, trying to think about, like, man, can I take my little, little tiny check and, like, try to help, like, pay down, like, what I owe on this thing? That would be really, really good for me to do, you know? And then I just started thinking about, man, how great would it be not to have a mortgage payment? I mean, and then I just, in my mind just wonders, it's like, man, what if I just had more money? I mean, more money is the answer to my problems, you know? I mean, in the moment, I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be great if I didn't just have this debt that I created on myself, on my own? That would be great. And then I started thinking like, man, what if I could make more money some other way? Like, what if I could like pick up an extra job and like get more money because I could just pay down debt. That would be awesome, you know? And then I just, my mind just began to wonder and I just realized that there is a deceitfulness of wealth. And I don't know if you know that, but there is a deceitfulness of wealth. In fact, you live in a country that sells you an American dream that says, go for it with everything you got. And I'm telling you, it's a lie. It will not satisfy your soul. It will not make your life better. Yes, you need to be responsible and pay the bills and not have debts. I get all of that. And thankfully, I have a job that I can pay my bills. That's awesome, okay? I love that. But there is deceit that comes with pursuing wealth. And if you pursue that, it said the word, this parable says that the word will be choked out and you will be unfruitful. It will, the word in you will be unfruitful. The word will not produce anything in you. And so what is it for you? Is it the worries of this life? Is it your family? 
Is it school? Is it work? What are the things that you're worried about? Is it the deceitfulness of wealth? It's like, man, I really want great clothes and I really want a great car and I just want to look cool. I mean, is that, are you following that path? Or is it desires for other things? I want fame, I want success, I want sex. I mean, is that some of the things that you have desires for? Because this parable is saying, if those are the things that you're thinking about, then you're, the word's going to be unfruitful in your life. I don't know what it is for you, but that was convicting to me because I don't want the word choked out of my life. And I don't want to be unfruitful. How about you? There's good news. There's another verse after this. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And he says, hear the word, accept it. And produce. Hear the word. Accept it. Receive it. Let it get in your life. Let it fill up your life. Let it consume you. Let your life revolve all around it. And if you do, you're going to produce a crop. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And that is the scandalous grace that took place right there with the disciples. He explained to them how we receive the word. He's like, good soil. The good soil hears it, accepts it, and produces. And what I love about this parable, and what I love about God's grace is that we have that same invitation today. Every single one of us. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That we have that same invitation today to know the secret of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who reigns, who, who rules, who's in authority. He is the Messiah. He is my Savior. And we get to live in this incredible country today. You get to, most, many of you, most of you in the room are getting an education. Some of you are working, and that's awesome too. But you live in an incredible country, and you have great, great opportunities. And you have freedom that we live in a country where we can study and read the Word of God. We have a translation. We have multiple translations. Some of you have multiple Bibles that we can just open up and read. And that is God's grace. And the very fact that we are living on this side of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world is God's grace. That we get to know what the secret was. The secret was Jesus. They didn't know that at the time. They knew something was different. They knew that he was incredible in the sense of he could do miracles and that he was worth following. They didn't understand it all. Until he explained it all. And in fact, I don't really think they got it all until he rose from the dead. 
And the beautiful thing about that is we get that on this side. Amazing. That's amazing grace. That's scandalous grace. That's incredible grace for you and I tonight. And the thing I want for you tonight is I want you to be good soil. That's my hope for you, is that I want your life to be good soil. I want you to hear the word. I want you to accept it. And I want you to produce a crop. 30, 60, 100 fold. How awesome would that be? And the beauty of the invitation, he said this later in, in the Gospel of John. It says this, John eight thirty one. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Now, he was talking to a Jewish audience at the time. But I believe that's true today for all of us. If we continue in his word, then we have the opportunity to be followers of him. That's, that's the invitation. And if we continue in his word, it will choke out all the cares of the world. Because the word of God is life transforming. It will bring life to dead things because that's how powerful it is. And it is amazing what it can do. But we've got to get ourselves in it. And we've got to examine our lives and see what are the things that are keeping us from living it out. There's this verse. We're not putting it up. Sorry, I didn't give it to the team. It's Jeremiah 4, 3. And it says, break up your fallow ground and do not sow your seed among thorns. But basically he's saying, get yourself in a position where your life is fertile, where your life is in a good place, where your life can receive the word of God. And what is it in you tonight that you need to have broken up, that you need to like let go of, that you need to stop believing? What is it in your life that maybe that you have believed the lie of the enemy for all these years and you know you got to stop this behavior, but you're letting the enemy come along and steal away the opportunity for you to live out the abundant life that Christ has for you? Or what is the thorn that you've been planted among that are choking out your life? What are the things that you've been deceived by? And if trouble were to come or persecution were to come today, how strong are the roots in your life? And the beautiful thing is we have the opportunity to grow in a relationship with God through his word. And that is God's grace, his scandalous grace for you and I. And that's what I want for you. That's what I hope for you, that we would know Jesus, that you would love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that you would get to know him. And so the challenge for us tonight is we're wrapping up. Um, we're coming to the end of the semester. We've got one more week next week. But here's the thing I want you to think about. I don't know what your life is right now, but I think it's stressful for most of you. And again, thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm just, it's great that you've, ca- you've come. But I don't know how much time you're spending in this right now. I don't know if you were like, well, I don't know what to read. Okay, well, we're, I'm going to give you a challenge tonight. I would love for you to read the Gospel of Mark. Just because that's where this, is, this parable is told. And what's beautiful about this is that there are several parables about the kingdom of God right after this one. But I want you to read the Gospel of Mark 
um, before April 30th, okay? So you got some time. Today's April 8th. Don't stress out. Don't have to go home and read it tonight. Don't even start tonight. Start tomorrow, April 30th. And here's the deal. If you start tomorrow, you get six days off if you start tomorrow, okay? That's some grace for you right there, okay? I'm giving you some grace. Six days off between now and April 30th. I don't know if anybody's taking exams for April 30th. If you are, I'm really, really sorry. There's no grace there on that one. But I'm trying to get you into the Word before you hit exams, okay? And if you're like, I don't, I'm not spending that much time with God, well, okay. Well, just start a chapter a day, reading the Gospel of Mark. And I, I would do, you know, personally, me, I would do, you know, Tuesday through Friday this week. You can take a break on Saturday. Sunday, come to church. You'll get the word that way. That's good. Monday, jump right back into it. Go five days in a row. Take a couple of days off. Jump back into it. And then you're going to finish on Tuesday, April 30th, okay? That's when you're going to finish the Gospel of Mark. I think you'll enjoy it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer. And I just want you to say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. And I want to be like you. That's all I want you to pray. God, help me to know you today and show me how to be like you. And that's what I love about the song that we just sang earlier. Oh, to be like you. Give all I have just to know you. Forever the hope in my heart. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. And that's his scandalous grace for us that we get to be in a relationship with him when we didn't deserve it, but he made a way for us to be restored into a relationship with our heavenly father. That is scandalous grace. That's amazing grace. And that is the beauty of a relationship with God that he made a way for us. And I want you to know him. I want you to live your life getting to know him. I want you to start looking like him. And the way you can do it is dive in and Love the Word of God. Have a desire for the Word of God. Read and study and meditate on His Word so that you can become more like Him and not follow the desires or the things of this earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for Your amazing and scandalous grace that we get to live in 2013 and we're alive today and we get to come to a building like this and get to sing songs to you and hear your word, God, in our own language. It's amazing, God. And Father, I pray for each of these students here, God, in this season, I pray that you would um, keep them focused, that you would help them fix their eyes on you by your Holy Spirit. And that they would come to know you more and more. And they would begin to look like you and reflect you to the world that they live in, God. And so, God, we just praise you tonight for your grace. And I pray, God, that you would um, give us a greater desire to know you in the days ahead. Make us more and more into the image of your Son, Heavenly Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.